I introduced the book of Samuel last week with this question, is God king? Is God king? That's what un re means, one king. Um, Is God king? Does Does he mean more to you than whatever it is you want from him? As king, does does he, the king, mean more to you than the benefits of his kingdom? That's kind of what Samuel is about. The question this morning is, how can you tell? How do you know God, the king, means more to you than other things? Okay, that's the question today. Let's continue reading in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 on the screen in both languages. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. In Hebrew, it says that these men were um, not just worthless men, but sons of Belial, which is possibly the name of a demon uh, or another name even for Satan. Okay, so this is not a gracious description. Um, these priests were not God's servants. They were God's enemies. Okay. Verse 13. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. In other words, they were taking more than God had already provided them. They were abusing their religious authority to be greedy. Because God had already provided certain portions for them. They were taking extra. Verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast. For he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Okay, so not only were these priests stealing from the people, but they were also stealing from God. Because the fat was supposed to be burned as an offering to the Lord. It was not supposed to be eaten. So they're stealing from God. Okay, Verse 17, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. I want to draw attention to the fact that God 
is clearly very angry with what they're doing. And it reminds me a little bit of John chapter 2, when Jesus goes into the temple courtyard with a whip and he clears out the money changers. And he's obviously very angry with what's happening in the temple. In both cases, there were people ministering in the name of God who were taking advantage of their religious authority to be greedy. Do you think that still happens today? It most certainly does. Okay? And it still makes God angry. Verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she was up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. The writer here pauses to tell us about Samuel, and we are meant to compare Samuel to the sons of Eli. They're doing a terrible job. But Samuel is growing up in the presence of these wicked men and he's not like them. He is quietly, faithfully serving God in spite of his circumstances. Okay, so just kind of hold that thought. Remember that, but we're going to move on. Verse 22. Now, Eli was very old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Okay, now this is especially wicked because the women who were serving the tabernacle were supposed to be virgins. And you would think that the priests above all men would be concerned for their purity. And yet, that's obviously not the case. And Eli said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord... Who can intercede for him? I don't know if you've seen this. If you haven't, you should definitely look it up on YouTube because it's awesome. But um, comedian Bob Newhart did a famous sketch on Mad TV where he plays a therapist and he charges $1 a minute And he claims that he can cure anyone in less than five minutes of any problem, mental problem. 
So person comes in, explains their problem, and Bob's solution is that he just tells them to stop it. <laughs> I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. Okay, well, two words. Stop it. <laughs> Stop being afraid, right? And he just says this and charges the lady $3 and says she's cured. Well, it's foolish, right? It's funny. And that's basically what Eli says to his sons. I heard you're doing this stuff. Stop it. Stop doing the bad stuff. And of course, it has no effect because there are no real consequences. There is no real discipline. And this was the result. But they would not listen to the voice of their father for... It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, I want you to read that sentence again and just let it, let it simmer. But they would not, would not listen to the voice of their father why? Because it was the will of who? The Lord to do what? To put them to death. Now this is a this is a very difficult sentence. And just so you know that I'm not using some weird translation, I'm going to show you the same sentence in a few other translations, okay? Here it is in the, the NIV. That was the ESV. Okay, This is the NIV. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. The New Living Translation. But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Okay, New King James Version. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Christian standard. But they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. Okay? Now, what we expect it to say is that his sons wouldn't listen because they were evil or because they were hard-headed or because they were dumb. That would be easier for us to read that sentence if it was their fault, right? We don't expect it to say what it says, which is they didn't listen because God had already planned to kill them. Does that make you a little uncomfortable? I'm trying to make you uncomfortable. OK? 
Okay? It should make you a little it, it should make you a little uncomfortable. But it's not the first time that God did something like this. He actually did it with Pharaoh. Okay? Exodus chapter 4, verse 21 says this. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then watch what happens. Exodus 9.12 But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and then he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. The only explanation of this is that God has the power to make people deaf to His Word. He can make people unable to hear the call of repentance. Unable to respond to it in a positive way. Now with Pharaoh, we don't question it as much. Because he was Egyptian and he was obviously God's enemy, right? So we read that and we're like, nah, but it's Pharaoh. He's not an Israelite. But the sons of Eli, that's different. These are Israelite priests. Why would God harden their hearts? He must have had a reason. Let's see if we can find out. Look at the next verse. Verse 26. So right after he says that, he says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So again, the writer pauses to tell us about Samuel. Do you remember from last week the prayer of Hannah at the beginning of chapter 2. She says, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. The Lord brings low and the Lord exalts. And we're already seeing this. We're going to see it all through the book of Samuel, but we're seeing it now. God is planning to humble Eli and his sons. And he's going to raise up Samuel. At the end of the chapter, there is an unnamed prophet who shows up and he gives Eli the bad news. Okay, verse 34. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. How would you like to hear that as a father? You're going to lose both your kids on the same day. 35, and I will raise up for myself, God says, a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And that is the end of our text for today. Now, what do we do with it? Okay. What do we do 
with this. What is God doing and why does it matter in your life, in my life, in 2021? Okay? I want to start with um, a softball. Okay? Here's the easy one. This is a, a parenting application. Eli was a bad father. Part of, the, part of the text is to show us this is, this is not how you parent, okay? Um, he was soft on his children. He had a responsibility as a priest and as a father to remove them from the priesthood for clearly violating God's laws, and he didn't do it. He gave them a stern talking to him. Right? But that's it. And had he removed them from the priesthood and humbled them, we don't know, but it might even have saved their lives. Had he done what he should have done. Now parents, we cannot change the hearts of our children. But we can stop indulging their sin. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to anybody else in this room because I sometimes, often, convince myself that I'm loving my kids by going easy on them. And my discipline usually just amounts to words. Very often, I choose the path of least resistance, okay? All words... And no consequences. Empty threats. Stop it. But that's not love. It's not. And I'm being convicted of that this week, preparing for this sermon. The difficult path, the right path, is to say, because I love you, I cannot let you do that. Because I love you, the answer is no. And there are consequences. I am not going to be an accomplice to your rebellion. I am not going to help you destroy your own life. Now that may sound extreme, but it's not. Because children who get whatever they want, guess what? They grow up to be terrible employees and terrible spouses. Most of my problems as a spouse come from basically doing whatever I wanted from the ages of 15 to 18. It's not loving. Discipline your children. Failure to discipline your children is not love. Actually, the Bible calls it hate. Okay, so that's number one. I said it was a softball. It's really not. It's hard. Suck it up. (laughs) Um, Number two. That actually helps us kind of understand the bigger picture of this story. And I don't know if I would have understood this without being a father. I really think this chapter is about the fatherhood of God. That's really the big picture here. This is about the fatherhood of God. If you look back at God's definition in verse 35 of a faithful priest, 
He says, a faithful priest is someone who will do what is in my heart and in my mind. In other words, a faithful priest is a servant leader. He's saying, we don't get to make up our own rules. I don't get to stick my fork in the meat and get more for myself. Okay? Um... We don't get to do that. This is true of me as a pastor. It is true of your elders in this church. It is true of us as shepherds of our home and as parents. We don't get to wing it because it's not just about us. We are representing in our family, in our church, in our workplace, in our school, in our home. We are representing the King, the Father, Eli was not just a bad father to his sons. He was a bad representative of the father. And he was in a position where everyone was looking at him. And that's why the judgment is so big. That's that's what I think. I think it's so big and so obvious because God will shepherd his people. He will shepherd his people. He will move bad under shepherds out of the way. Why? Because his own reputation as a father is at stake. And he's not going to be labeled a bad father. We're bad children. (laughs) But if Eli's not going to remove his sons, God will. And it had to be in a way that it was obvious that God did it, right? Because God's man is the problem, right? So he's not speaking to it. God's got to do it in a way that it's obvious. Thus, he sent some other unnamed prophet saying, your boys are going to die on the same day. And in a few chapters, they will. And no one's going to think it's a coincidence because God already said it would happen. And that's why he does it this way, right? Didn't I tell you if you put your hand on the stove, it would burn you? And what happened? You see, he's being a good father. This story is telling us That God is being a good father by removing bad priests and replacing them with a faithful priest. In the short term, he's probably talking about Samuel, um, but there's a much bigger plan at work. And this is, I've saved the best for last. This is the most beautiful thing about this whole story to me. Um, And there's a lot of hope and a lot of grace in it. Okay, you ready for this? We see a hint of God's gospel plan in the most unlikely place in the story. Okay? Go back to the words of Eli in verse 25. He said, If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Now, Eli probably has no idea what he's saying. That question just sort of hangs in the air like nobody. That's the answer. Nobody intercedes for you. 
you must show compassion. You stop doing this stuff to your, you know, your people, or your God's going to get you, right? I mean, that's basically what he's saying. But here's the thing: how gracious of God to put the most gospel illuminating words in the chapter on the lips of Eli, the bad high priest. But there it is. Our hope is not in Samuel or in some other human mediator because our sin is not against another human. Our sin is an offense against the Father. It is an offense against God, all of it. And animal sacrifices, good works, human solutions, none of it's going to fix that problem. He's right about that. But that question begs an answer. Who will mediate or intercede for you if you sin against the Lord? And God's solution was a different kind of priest. A faithful priest. Not Samuel. Not Eli, not Aaron, not Pastor Mike. His only son. His own son. And if you have a problem with God putting Eli's sons to death on the same day, remember Jesus, the faithful priest, God's son. And you know, we know, we know that, that Jesus is who he's talking about, really, because Jesus was absolutely obsessed with obeying his Father. This is one of the most obvious things when you read through the Gospels. A couple of quick examples, because I can't, I just got to see this, okay? John 5, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. Now, this is, this is Jesus walking on water, feeding 5,000, raising people from the dead, okay? Says a word, somebody rises from the dead. Like, this is Jesus, most powerful person to ever walk the earth, says, I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Next chapter. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Who's that? The Father. Mark 14, He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus wasn't just a perfect man. Jesus is a faithful son. Jesus is an obedient son. Willingly, he obeyed. And willingly, he died. And our hope is not in our obedience as children, of the Father, our hope is in the obedience of Christ, our faithful high priest, our faithful older brother. And because Jesus was faithful, 
and did only the will of the Father, what was in his heart and mind, because of that, he has earned the promise of God that Samuel talks about, an eternal home, a family. And we are that family. We are the sons and daughters in Christ of the Father if our faith rests in Him. So the question for us that Samuel's forcing us to ask, okay, if you wrap all this up, are you a friend of God or His enemy? Are you a friend of God or His enemy? How do you know? Well, the enemy of God has a heart of stone. The enemy of God sees no need for change. They do not respond to the call of repentance. It goes in one ear and out the other. There's no humility. There might be good outward living. But it's self-righteousness. It's pride. And it looks like a stone, a stony heart. That's what it looks like. Okay? The friend of God might not look so good on the outside. But that person feels a need for repentance. They hear the call. They respond to it by God's grace. God says, I will take the heart of stone and I will remove it and I will put a heart of flesh. And this person, initiated by the Holy Spirit, responds to God's call. Can we be honest? What I'm asking of you is just to stop for a moment. Think about this whole kingship of God thing. Think about your life. Think about what you care about. Be honest with yourself. Can we be honest that we only really wanted God for His benefits? For some of you, I mean, if you've grown up in church, you've been at least maybe hard to even admit that out loud to yourself. Like, okay, maybe I'm in church, maybe I'm religious because I just want what God can bless me with. Can we be honest that we only wanted what He could do for us? And brothers and sisters, what He's offering is a seat at the table in His kingdom. But we can't have that without the King. That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. There is no kingdom without the King. And so the call is clear. Repent and believe. Repent and receive may be a better word to, for us. Repent and receive the person and work of Jesus with empty hands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, just as you, the most powerful human ever walked this earth, said you can do nothing on your own, certainly that's true of us. We can do nothing on our own. We can't even respond 
repent and believe without your help. We pray for that. We ask you to help us. Help us to call on your name. Help us not to to be cold and to lack remorse. Help us to know that we've sinned against you. Help us to know that we have sought after the things of this world at your expense. Father, turn us around. Help us to worship you as the one true king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.